Here we are back on Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Let's look at the price of diesel. It just went higher today as I'm recording this. It went lower yesterday. It was higher before that. And it was a lot lower than that for a few days before that. Wait, I almost forgot to tell you that we call the show Drilling Deep because we talk about oil, we talk about diesel like we just did, and you need to drill to get oil, and you need oil to make diesel. We also have a guest every week. This week, it's Max Farrell, the CEO and founder of uh, uh, Workhound. Uh, Max is going to talk about a recent NLRB rule, National Labor Relations rule, that he thinks could impact the pace of unionization, not just in trucking, but in all sorts of fields. Let's have some perspective on the price. Yes, the price has been crazy, and the price of diesel is high. The latest DOEEIA diesel price that came out last Monday actually was down more than $0.09. Cents. It came in at $4.49.8 a gallon. You know what it was a year ago? The corresponding week for 2022 was $5.22.4 per gallon. So we're higher than we were just a few months ago, but we're also about $0.70 cents less than where we were a year ago. I thought this week was a good time to remind everybody that U.S. diesel markets are not just a U.S. phenomenon. They are part of the global market, and quite frankly, given that you can put diesel on a ship and send it anywhere around the world where the best price is, the market doesn't particularly care about your international borders. That's why the latest monthly report of the International Energy Agency is so timely. The report has a standard amount of data, a huge amount of data, actually, on supply and demand, but it also will focus on one or two specific features of the market each month and write a piece on it. This month, they looked at the European diesel market. This is not like Vegas. It's not like what happens in Europe stays in Europe. What happens in Europe or Asia or wherever can and does impact the rest of the diesel market, including the U.S. So what the IEA wrote this month wasn't shocking, but does clarify that even though diesel is off its high levels, even with the bullish reaction this past, these past few days from the attacks on Israel, there's still a lot of tightness out there. The EIA noted that refiners in their refiners in Europe right now are making tons of money. Actually, they're making money everywhere in the world. But despite that, European crude throughputs, which is the amount of crude they put through their refineries, that number is well below historical averages. Some of it is because refineries have closed. But the numbers are that runs are down about 1.3 million barrels per day in Europe compared to before the pandemic, and refinery shutdowns are maybe half of that. One reason, the market for jet fuel is even stronger than the market for diesel. Both are middle distillates, so they compete with each other when refiners figure out what they want to do with their distillate molecules. Do they make diesel, or do they make jet fuel, or heating oil, or some other minor distillate products? So that benefits jet consumers. The IEA also notes that the loss of output from Russia, which has been a major supplier of diesel to Europe, has definitely been a fact. Put this all together, and as the EIA says, fourth quarter diesel balances look tight. It lays out one scenario where inventories could end the quarter, the fourth quarter, so at the end of December, at a level seen only once in the last 20 years. And that time was not at the start of the winter the way a tight inventory balance at the end of the fourth quarter would be. You need more stock stocks at the start of winter because distillates are used for heating. At this late point, getting ready for the season, 
The IEA said they are, there are, quote, limited options, close quote, for European refiners to build their low inventory levels. It would take a rebound in refinery yields, meaning they'd have to make more diesel and less jet and other things, run more crude to the refineries, or import a lot more. Or maybe do all three. And then comes the kicker, something nobody has any control over. Quote, markets may have to rely on another mild winter to avoid even tighter diesel market conditions through the first quarter of 2024, close quote, the EIA said. Can we have a second mild winter? Even if you're a snow lover, your wallet may require it. Time to move on here now on Drilling Deep. We've got an old friend today here. He's Max Farrell. He's the CEO of WorkHound, which is mostly known for its app-based driver feedback tool. But given that relations between employer and employee are a major part of what WorkHound does, he also keeps a close eye on labor law and labor relations in general. What has caught his eye recently is a proposal by the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, that he believes is going to make unionization easier, or certainly it'll make it more interesting. So Max is here to talk to us today. Max, welcome back to Drilling Deep. John, always good to chat with you, sir. So I do want to give you a chance to describe uh, WorkHound, what it does, uh, what its day job is before we get into the discussion about the NLRB. For sure. What does it do? Yeah, so uh, WorkHound uh, is a real-time anonymous feedback platform for frontline workers. So we got our start in the trucking industry where turnover's high and companies were trying to figure out why are people leaving and what can we do to improve our company so we, we retain more people and build a better business. And what we've seen over the years is that more companies in the supply chain and just broader frontline workforces are saying, hey, we want to get a pulse on our people. Sometimes it's not necessarily just to improve retention. Sometimes it's just to say, how do we improve our blind spots? How do we maintain a direct working relationship with our people and use people data alongside machine data or financial data to make business decisions? And so as WorkHound has evolved over the years, we've really invested heavily in operational intelligence. So companies are able to see how is one location performing to another, where are the heartburn issues inside a business, and then give them the tools to, to do something about it and communicate so they do build a better uh, workplace. All right. So now as a result of that, you really, I'm sure, keep a very close eye on labor law, uh, labor regulations, et cetera. Um, I, when, when I got the, the note from you that the NLRB proposed rules are kind of a big deal, I thought, well, I had never heard from you on that issue. But then I thought, of course, that makes a lot of sense that Max has to, to keep his eye there. What is the NLRB proposal? Yeah. So, you know, first off, our, our goal is to give a voice to, to workers and yeah, the majority of companies out there are uh, are non-union and, and prefer a direct labor relationship, but we work with both organizations that have a union presence and and don't. At the end of the day, our goal is to understand how our, what does it take to give workers a voice so companies are making the best decisions possible to, to build a, a great business. Uh, in regards to the, the NLRB, uh, there's, there's a ruling that came out where starting in late December of this year, the timeline for, for union elections will significantly reduce. And so in the past, a, uh, a union would, if, if people inside an organization would say, hey, we, uh, we, we want to, to bring a union in here, they would have to uh, go petition to do a vote. There would be uh, yeah, essentially a debate on both sides for both the company to uh, avoid the union and for the, the union to, to be in place, and then a vote would happen. Whereas now, the new rule makes it a lot easier uh, so if uh, if a uh, if there's uh, interest in a union inside an organization or a chat or a division of one, 
the the people or the union can say, hey, we have enough votes to certify this union. And then it's the, the onus is on the company to say, whoa, 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 we actually want to do a, a vote. So, uh, you know, the company can't just do nothing and wait and, and have a, a union uh, vote or, or certification uh, drag out over months or years. Now it can happen you know, much quicker uh, as a result of, uh, of, of this uh, update from the NLRB. Now, is this rule in place or is this a proposed rule? Uh, as, as far as I know, this is happening in, on December 26th, that this change is happening. You know, it's interesting you say that because I wrote the story recently about the uh, unit at ECM, which is owned by Warner, mm-hmm. a small New Jersey uh, division uh, that decided to unionize with the uh, commercial and food workers, not the Teamsters. And my, I seem to recall that the timeline on them was pretty tight. It sounds to me like this would, like this rule would make tight timelines could become the standard. I mean, when 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 I looked at the timeline of what I'd heard it went on at ECM, I was thinking that is really quick. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I think the even then there was there was uh, for for any sort of event like that, there is time for the company to go and send their leadership to have a conversation with the with the the people there, but. You know the the challenge is that the 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 wheels are already in motion, and um, and so it, it's tough. But yeah, it'll it'll be a lot easier for unions going forward to be able to say, um, "Hey, we've got the votes. Do you want to challenge this?" And uh, all of a sudden, you know, a company that was flat footed and not even expecting it is is playing from behind to well, uh, make that case. case. Well, Warner CEO Derek Leathers actually went to New Jersey to lobby for a no vote, and he was. Apparently a little bit successful because the vote, I think, was something like 11 to 8. That kind of shows you how small yeah. the unit was. But it was important enough uh, in the uh, management halls of Warner en- Enterprises that the CEO visited New Jersey. I thought that was highly significant. Well, certainly, because the, uh, you know, once, once you have one, one division inside an organization, as a company, you have to, to develop an associate relations strategy. And so there are other larger carriers out there that do have leaders with an associate relations role that do have some union presence, maybe in a, in a metro area like Chicago, that um, where they, they just, that is, that has to be a part of their business strategy and that that's their reality. And uh, so, yeah, it's certainly understandable why a CEO would want to go to a, a location to make their case, because now that will be a part of their business strategy going forward. You know, there's been so much talk about a revival of unionization, but quite frankly, when I've seen numbers on the percent of the size of the workforce, um, that's unionized. It doesn't seem to be rising much at all. And if it is rising, it tends to be in the public sector, not the private sector. In some ways, this is, yeah, but, but then on the other hand, you've got certainly more strike action. The, the number of days lost to strikes in 2023 is going to be the highest in a long time. That's very prominent ones. The UAW, the Mack truck strike uh, that just started this week, you know, in a non, non truck stuff. You've got the big one in Kaiser Permanente out in, in California in the healthcare field. What is your view on the revival of unionization? Is it tr- is it real or is it hype? Well, I, I think the, the the core thing is that there there is a rise in how do we how do workers have a voice in, inside uh, inside the workplace? Because what what winds up happening is that in uh, in moments like this, if workers don't feel heard or valued, they have two choices: they can either fight or leave. And, you know, if the, if the work is plentiful out there, then, you know, leaving is the easy answer. Turnover is high in a lot of industries where, um, you know, that, that tends to be the case. It's easier to just walk away and go find a job elsewhere. But when you do have people inside companies that maybe they, they like the organization or they like the work or the work is niche enough 
then they're going to fight. And that's where companies have to be prepared to say, you know, what are we doing so that it doesn't get to the boiling point where they, they feel like they have to fight or leave? Uh, so I would say uh, across the, the country, yes, labor support is high because, you know, it's power to the people. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's an easy thing to get behind. Um, but to your point, as far as the data, yeah, the, the number of unions, the percentage of, of union, uh, uh, employment hasn't gone up significantly. Uh, and part of that's that it's, uh, it's tricky to, to do. You know, 27 states have right to work where you can't force union dues. And so any sort of union activity in the majority of states is going to be piecemeal because let's say a location in Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, says, Hey, we, we want to set up a union here. Well, a hundred percent of those people don't have to join. So already it waters down the, the impact and effectiveness of, of that group. So it's, it's just, it's tricky because of the piecemeal work across the board. The unionization move that really struck me the, the hardest recently was uh, at, uh, at XPO in Hialeah, outside of Miami, where XPO signed its first union contract, I don't know, about a year and a half ago uh, in, with a unit in Hialeah. And then Hialeah, the, then the workers like a year and a half later voted to decertify. I mean, this was just a stunning turnaround that fast. I mean, XPO had resisted signing a contract. They finally did. And um, and here suddenly the workers throw out the union. I, I don't know if you're familiar with this at all, but when you see something like that, what are your thoughts? Well, it's that you can always make a new decision. Uh, and, and so if, uh, you know, if people are inside the workplace and and they're say they're not seeing substantial change or, you know, there's promises that were made and, and you know, maybe the grass wasn't greener on, on the other side, people can always make a new decision. But, you know, what I can imagine is that in any environment like that, you have you have the company still nudging, saying, hey, look at the direct the things we're doing with this direct uh, relationship we have across our other organizations. Uh, you know, I, I know that there are some companies that their their strategy is, um, you know, if if one of our locations uh, becomes unionized, like we're just going to freeze growth there and and either like move our our growth opportunities to other locations. So it, it really is a catch-22 that you know, businesses may have some some internal strategy where they say, you know, we may wind up winding down some of these locations uh, if, uh, if, if it becomes unionized because it's harder for us to run our business playbook. And so I don't know how much that had to, to factor in, but that's certainly a, a consideration when, when a, a chapter of, of a company um, makes that move either for or against uh, embedding a union. Now you get a lot of worker feedback. That's what you do. So if you yep. were sitting, if you were sitting down with some CEOs and other management types who were trying to fend off a union, maybe not necessarily fend it off like there's a battle right now, but where they've already made a decision. Look out over the next several years, we might get a unionization push. What's the best way to combat that, and and not even combat it, but just to to, to, to deter it from the beginning? What were some of the pieces of advice you would give? I mean, they've yeah. got they've got lawyers to tell them the legal things to do. In right. Terms of, in terms of an employee relations thing to do, what would you tell? Yeah, well, at, at that point, you know, the 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 workers inside that company have said, we don't feel heard, we don't feel valued. And again, it's fight or leave. And so they've said, we're going to fight. And, and this is the way that we're making, putting our, our stake in the ground to, to make a difference. So the, the best tool that a company has, if they're wanting to have a, a direct relationship with their workforce is, to get ahead of issues and, and make it where people feel valued and respected and heard, 
so that um, they're able to get ahead of things. So for example, yeah, I think where, where a lot of this uh, starts to happen is when one company acquires another and, uh, and they go through spreadsheet data, they look at the performance data of a business, maybe they do a walkthrough of a location, but they don't get raw insight of what are people thinking and feeling inside the culture of this group. And so then they get surprised when, you know, when the, uh, the leadership of the company that's being acquired says, hey, everything's great here, people love it here, family environment, well, maybe that's not all what it's cracked up to be. Uh, so getting getting an idea ahead of time to say, okay, what's really going on in, in this location? You know, we uh, There's one company that comes to mind that uh, that we partner with. They actually started to see a, uh, a decrease in, in sentiment in one of their Florida locations. And they uh, they looked at the data and brought their leadership up from uh, from Florida to their headquarters. And uh, what they saw was, all right, there there's a... Um, a misalignment between what we're hearing from our leadership about what's happening in that organization and what we're hearing from the front lines. So they coached up the leaders. They developed a strategy to say, how do we get back to a better place with our people? One, because it's the right thing to do inside a business. Um, but two, it does maintain that uh, that direct relationship inside the organization. Yeah, you mean what you mentioned about the, the acquisition. ECM was acquired by Werner about two years ago. And then the small unit decides to unionize. So that's very much in, in keeping with what you're saying. Certainly, yeah. The uh, it's it's in across any organization, it's you you have to get ahead of this, and and you can't. I think the the missteps that that a number of leaders make is they they look around the the board table and say, you know, we're doing enough, right? And they all you know nod their head, and move on to something else. But you really kind of got to approach it with a chip on your shoulder right now to just say. What else can we be doing more of? Because especially in a business like uh, trucking or anywhere in the supply chain, you know that workforce is your your revenue generator, and so it, it's in your best interest to say, all right, how do we make sure we take care of these people um, so that one we're we're making money, but two uh, we're able to just focus on our zone of genius instead of having uh, you know extra variables put in place like union votes or something like that. Yeah, I'm guessing pay is I'm pay is always an issue, but you just can't stay in business today if you're not paying your people a market rate or competitive with the other, with it, what what's that, what what else is out there as yeah. options. So uh, maybe I'm being naive here to think that 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 will kind of take care of the pay issue. Um, so I'd imagine that a lot of the feedback that you get uh, that might also end up being a a uh, a force for ultimate unionization has mm-hmm. nothing to do with pay and has everything to do with all sorts of other stuff. Well, pay is certainly mentioned, but folks folks often think pay is an amount issue. And yes, we all want more money, but but often the issues with pay are people not understanding their pay or feeling like it's incorrect. And and those are where the frustrations exist. And so once that happens, then somebody feels like, you know, the company's cheating them. And and really the the thing that I'm seeing companies do based on the pay data is say, how do we make our pay more predictable and and easier to understand? Because in an industry like trucking, they have the most complicated pay structure in all of North America out of out of industry out there. So, you know, instead of just saying, let's mask it with with more money and make the uh, pay structure more complicated, just make it simple, easy to understand and predictable and good things will happen. What were the, some of the things that you would recommend to make it simpler? I mean, I hear that a lot, that trucking pay is really complicated and somebody can look at their check. Of course, not a check anymore, but, you know, there's yeah. and, and really have no idea how it got there. So what would be some of your key recommendations? Yeah, so one of the things that continues to grow in in popularity right now is is some level of guaranteed pay. 
to say, you know, if you show up to work and do these things, then we're going to take care of you and anything else is, is a bonus. Uh, because what, what's most frustrating about the role of a truck driver, if they're paid cents per mile, is that the entire burden of the supply chain is on their shoulders and they really can't do anything about it. So, you know, if they're stuck in traffic or there's construction or bad weather or a shipper takes forever, that affects their payday. And so if they're able to know, I'm going to be taken care of at least to know I'm going to meet my, my family's minimum needs, yeah, that provides some, some psychological safety there. Um, as far as, uh, other items, it's, uh, it's just, uh, some of, some people are actually shifting over to, to different pay methods. So instead of cents per mile, sometimes it's hourly and maybe it's, uh, in, incentivizing movement where it's like, if you're sitting, you make X an hour. If you're moving, you make Y an hour. Uh, so companies are certainly trying to get creative in figuring out how do we take care of our people, but also know that we're running a business. Are you seeing that a lot? I mean, this has always been talked about as a way to go, and supposedly there's a trend toward it. I mean, are you hearing just sporadic instances of it, or is there really a measurable move away from just compensation on driving per mile? Yeah, it's 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 still on the fringes, but uh, uh, you know, especially when you know, trucking is cyclical. Right now is, is is a down moment in the cycle. The cycle will will come back, and uh, you know, I, I imagine those conversations will spark up again once the cycle is uh, back in uh, full boom mode. Right. So, are there companies out there that I won't ask you to mention them by name? Yeah. If you heard that there was a unionization drive at Company X, based mm-hmm. on your feedback, you would think to yourself, "Yeah, I can get that. I get that because I've seen the feedback in that company, and it's all not uniformly negative, but overwhelmingly negative, and it's not surprising." that there be a unionization drive there given that? It, certainly you can come through and, and make sense of it that, uh, you know, there was just misalignment. You know, I'd say the, you know, if, if companies have a, a, a mechanism to, to capture feedback, usually they're ahead of that and that doesn't become an issue, assuming they're rolling up their sleeves and doing something with the data. Now, there are some companies out there that they, they have leadership that buries their head in the sand and, uh, and, and treats feedback as an insult instead of a gift. So those, you may still have that, even if the feedback's coming to them. Um, but certainly, like, you'll get a heads up on why is the satisfaction score in this location um, happening, or you know, we're getting a lot of equipment complaints or facility complaints in this location. What are we doing to to address this? Um, because, you know, at, at the core, you know, people just want to uh, to, to be respected, feel like they have a, a voice and, and be listened to and and see the change happen from that stuff. We can't change everything, but even if a company just acknowledges, hey, we hear you and here's what we're looking into, you know, that can be really worthwhile. Let's go back to the original question, this NLRB um, plan that will kick in, sounds like, at the end of the year. Do you think it'll be a significant boost to unionization in the logistics industry or unionization in general? I, I, I don't know. Um, like, if, if I had my crystal ball, I, I think it will, it will force more conversations than, than it has historically. Um, and, and especially in, in an environment where it becomes easier, then, uh, you know, it, it'll give people the opportunity to, to try. It won't be as, uh, as hard to go try to, to put it inside, uh, one, one segment of a, uh, of a workplace versus another. Whereas now you have to be really intentional to make a push. In the future, it'll be a lot easier to just try. So, um, you know, I could see it where you do start to see more union votes, whether they are successful or not. Um, yeah, that's unknown. Um, but I, I do think that that will, uh, that'll be something that companies are going to have to be conscious of now that that needs to be part of their strategy. What are we doing to, uh, to connect with our workforce 
so that uh, we are taking care of people, giving them a voice in a way that uh, you know they're they're content and good with where things are. Max, we want to thank you for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Max Farrell, the CEO of Workout. Hey, thanks so much, John. Appreciate it. I'm sure we'll have you back. So you have been watching Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from Freightways. You can find us on all the leading platforms. If you see our smiling faces right now, that means you're watching it on YouTube, but we're elsewhere. you can also find us elsewhere. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. Yeah.